0: Good evening, everybody. Uh, Do we have any fans of Lord of the Rings? Okay, I knew that I had Ronzi, so I figured I was safe throwing that out there. Um, I I bring them up because they borrowed my title for tonight, um, The Return of the King. Um, As I was was thinking about things, uh, actually, several different messages that I recently heard, this has just been on my brain. I was trying to write a different sermon, but this just stayed in my brain, and I couldn't get rid of it. So I'm like, all right, I'll write the sermon on this. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28, says this. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those eagerly waiting for him. And what this says, if, what this alludes to, if, if you're told in to church, was that we've all sinned, but Jesus already came to deal with sin. He already came to pay the price for our sin, and he died on a cross for our sin, And he rose again. he went back to heaven. It says that he's going to come again, not because he has to deal with sin over again, but to get those that are eagerly waiting for him. Those that have already received the forgiveness that he offers. He's going to come again to get us. And I got thinking about this. I'm like, well, this is is really cool. How many of you guys like hide and go seek? Oh, it's a great game. My favorite version was always hide and go seek tag. Uh, It just made it better. Uh, where instead of just hiding and sitting there forever, you had the goal of hiding, and then once they started looking, your goal was to make it to some safe location where you could touch it and count to three and say, I'm free, and whatever. But um, maybe if you're like, totally foreign to that game, that's what we did as, as little kids. Maybe now that everyone's got video games, they don't do that anymore. But we played this, and we played this for hours and evenings. When it would get dark, we'd play hide-go-seek tag in the house, and if you got to the couch and put your hand on it and said, one, two, three, I'm free, without getting touched, then you were out. Um, it, was, it was lots and lots of fun. The frustrating thing, though, was if you were debating on where to hide and you hear that dreaded phrase, ready or not, here I come. And you're like, ah! Because like, you had a great hiding spot picked out and you ran to go hide there and your brother or your sister was already there. You're like, I'm going to hide in this dark corner. And you like jump into the corner and you hear, ah! You're going to go find a new spot. And, and you're all frustrated because all since you hear that, ready or not, here I come. Because the goal was to be hidden before you hear those words. Joel chapter 2, verse 12 says, This is what the Lord says turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts, come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. And I just got thinking about this, this whole idea. Is, this verse is talking about that you have a time to repent. Jesus tells us that he is coming back for those that are eagerly waiting for him. And as I I got thinking about this, I thought about how much time do we have? And as as this whole thing began to play and some people made some comments, I want to show you a couple things that kind of stuck out to me. Joel chapter 2 verse 31. Says the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Does that sound creepy to anybody? Just for the record. Okay. Growing up, I'm like, that is really creepy. How on earth is the moon going to turn to blood? Because that's just a very weird picture. Um, and, and then it goes again. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says it again. It says, In the last days it shall be God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it prophesies all this really cool stuff. Like, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall, shall see visions. And your old men shall see, um, shall dream dreams. And he goes on. And then in the end, he's like, um, I'll show wonders in the heavens above. And the signs in the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. And you're like, oh, man, there's that disturbing picture again. Um, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I, I all of a sudden, I begin to see a link between we have this really weird picture of this moon being blood, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you're like, well, how does that link up? Hey, can you put up that first picture? Okay, this is called a blood moon. That's an actual picture. That's, as far as I know, that's not someone in Photoshop, but... Uh, You can can hop on your computer, you can type in blood moon, and you'll find a bunch of these. What this is, a blood moon is sometimes used to describe a total lunar eclipse. When the earth casts its shadow on a full moon and it eclipses it, the moon may get a red glow. So I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. Because when I read it as a little kid, it was really freaky. Like, "Ah, it's a blood moon moon's turning the blood. No, and then you're like, "Well, wait, the blood moon is when the moon turns red because of the Earth's shadow." That's much simpler. But I bet that happens a bit. And if if you look it up, in most every decade, uh, you'll wherever you live, you'll you should be able to see a a blood moon or two. Um, Should should even be able to see a couple of them. But every Once in a while, they call it a lunar tetriard. I may have butchered the way that they say that, but fancy name for four blood moons happening in exactly six months apart. And you're like, oh, cool, cool. So we got four of these red moons, or blood moons if you want to sound creepy. And so um, as I I was looking at this, I'm like, oh, cool, cool, so there's four moons. And they're like, what's that got to do with anything? And then someone went and pointed out that this we're in the, actually we're in the latter portion of this four blood moon cycle. But this cycle has been unique. And let me put up the next picture. Its uniqueness is that it hasn't just been four randomly timed red moons caused by the shadow of the earth. But the first one happened on Passover of 2014. The second one, and you go, what's Passover? These are Jewish festivals. And if, if you're unfamiliar with this, the Jews, the Israelites, were God's chosen people. In fact, Jesus was a Jew. And as you look through, um, God began to set them up to show pictures of things for all of us. And at some of these festivals that God put in place, at the first one at Passover, and then at Tabernacles, and then again at Passover, and then it'll begin at Ten Tabernacles, each of these happened exactly on a Jewish festival. And somewhere in the middle there, we had a eclipse, and about the time of the, um, the festival, Tabernacles, when we're going to have the fourth blood moon, there's going to be another eclipse. You won't see it here. You're going to see it more in South Africa. Um, but I think about that, I'm like, wow, that's kind of crazy. Cool. And then I was listening to a book. I was supposed to bring it in with me. It's in my office. Um, we, how many of you guys were in service a couple weeks ago when we had Rabbi Khan here to speak? <laughs> Okay, he did awesome. I listened to both of his, uh, his books, and the one is really fun to listen to. It's a really good read. The other one is a lot of numbers, and it's a lot to try to take in. And, and I like listening to things. I listen to a lot of sermons, and it was still like, well, number, number, no. But as I'm going through this, he's talking about a Shemitah, and I'm like, what's a Shemitah? This is weird. And Yeah, so just for the record, when you hear things in the Bible and you're like, it's weird, you're not alone, okay? Most of us, we hear it. The first time we hear it, we're all like, that's weird. And you go, whoa, what's weird? And then you find out what it is, and then it's not weird anymore. So he's like, it's a Shemitah. I'm like, what's a Shemitah? And he goes, okay. So when God set things up with the Israelites, he said, every seven days, you take one day off. It's the last day. We're going to call it the Sabbath. And he goes, when God created the earth... And we had six days of working, and then he rested to set an example for you guys. You should rest. So you got seven work day, or six work days, and then you rest, call it a Sabbath. But when he set up things with them and with the law, he goes, we're going we're gonna to do this one better. He goes, you're going to work for six years, and then you're going to give the land a Sabbath. And all the farmers are like, okay, hey, um, you realize that we need crops, right? And he goes, you just trust me watch this. If you'll trust God, you work for six years, take a whole year and don't work the land. Just eat whatever happens to grow. And he goes, I will take care of you. And I will bless you more than if you did it yourself. I don't know if they ever actually obeyed that or if they went straight away into disregarding it and finding different ways to try to cheat the system. And so they, uh, They didn't obey, and this Sabbath year, they called the Shemitah, and they just didn't do it. Well, as we go forward, they they, they turn their hearts away from God. They try to provide for themselves. They turn to different idols, and they get taken over by another nation that comes, and Babylon destroys them. And the prophet says that they're going to go into exile for 70 years. And then in 2 Chronicles 36, it says this to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days it lay, it lay desolate, it kept the Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. They had skipped the Sabbath year for 490 years. They had missed 70 years of rest for the land. So you know how long they, they were missing from the land when they got, went into exile? 70 years. And I read that, I'm like, well, that's cool, but what does that have to do with me? Like, that's a long time ago, and there's a lot that's changed since then. And he began to go through some stuff going, okay, so this year of rest, um, there seems to be, they still, they still have it on the calendar. The, the Jewish calendar still runs with it and still marks what would be the Shemitah. And he goes, there's, in this, there's all these debts that are supposed to be wiped away. There's all this resetting of things and he looked at America much like Israel that was founded to serve God that had that sense turned away from God and he went through and he began to label that in 2001 it was the year of the Shemitah. In the end of the Shemitah when there should have been a wiping away of all debts and a reckoning of things and we'd turned away from God there was. Not because we chose it, but because during 9-11, everything crashed. At the point in the year when that would all happen on their calendar. And you're like, okay, that's kind of a crazy coincidence. And then he goes, that should be a cycle that should last seven years. Seven years later, it was the greatest economical collapse. And he he ran through a whole bunch of different numbers and different years. And he goes, you don't put God in the box. I'm not saying that exactly seven years after that, there's going to be another. But he goes, if you were going to follow some of these things... He said, not only did they have the Sabbath year, the Shemitah, but every seven sets of that, they would have a year of Jubilee where everything was wiped clean. If you were a slave because you'd gone into debt so much that you couldn't pay your debts, that you sold yourself into slavery, on the year of Jubilee, you would be freed. You would be released. If you ran out of money and your inheritance as a family was a plot of land and you had to sell it because you had no money, in the year of Jubilee, you would get it back. And it was this, this time of reset. And, and the Jews aren't exactly sure when the year of Jubilee is supposed to be because they didn't really obey it much. And so uh, he goes, but if you rewind and you look over the last 100 years and you watch after the year of the Shemitah, on two occasions there were some massive things that happened for Israel and they happened exactly 50 years apart. If that was the year of Jubilee, which it might not be, it would be due again September. It would commence September 14 of 2015. And I was looking at this, and and he goes through this, and he goes, you know, I'm not putting God in a box. I'm not saying that God has to, to have a second wave of judging or of his return, though it would prophetically, it would not be surprising to have his return timed with these things. And, and I, I didn't run through it to have you guys all going, well, Jesus is coming back September 13! Woo-hoo! Like, um, could happen, but I'm not counting on September 13 or 14. or the, At the end of this year, which would be the end of the Shemitah, when everything should climax, or at the end of next year, which would be the end of the year of Jubilee, if, if that, the, that is correct, but I, as I listened to all this, I got thinking, going, you know, this may or may not. As I look at it and go, it would make sense. Let's say we upped the percentage, the odds that Jesus was coming back on those days. I would not say, hey, there's a 95% chance Jesus is coming back September. No. But I would, I would greatly increase the odds in that season of it. And, I, and I, all of a sudden I stopped and thought, okay, so... What if he is? Let's not worry about all of the details, but just go, if he was to come back, if I could tell you, which I'm not, but if I could say, Jesus is coming back September 14 of 2015, what would you do? And I looked at this going, okay, so what if he's coming back this year? What if he's coming back next year? I I can't necessarily pick it, but what if he was? What would I do? And all of a sudden, I begin to think, going, is there anything that I need to change? Is there anything that I want to do? If, if I knew I only had four months, because what if he is? What if he's not? What if I lay out both of these questions and answer them honestly and go, what if Jesus is coming back on that day? What do I want to do? And you're like, you know, first off, I want to make sure that I'm living ready. I want to make sure that I'm right with God. It'd be a horrible time to go do something stupid. And you turn your back on God, and you're like, all oh, right, hey, look, I only have four months before he comes back. And I thought, well, you know, what about, is there anybody that I want to meet Jesus? How have I witnessed to him? And I had a conversation with my wife going, you know what, I don't even know. I like, I'm not saying he's coming back on these dates, but if he is, I want to be ready. If he comes tomorrow, I want to be ready. But it just kind of re-put the question in my head going, Jesus is coming. Whether he comes then or comes later, he's coming back. When he does, if I was to have a warning, what would I want to do? I said, you know, there's some people that I don't know if there's anything else I can do to win them to Jesus, but by golly, I want to try. And if I get to heaven and they look at me and go... You would not shut up about this, and now I know why. I, I, I'm clean. I like I tried, I did my best. But if they look at me and go, Why didn't you ever tell me? Why why did you just like think, do present it like it was such not a big deal when all of eternity rests on this? And I begin to ask myself, going, All right, is there something more that I could do to witness? Is there something different that I would? do in the way that I live? And as I begin to to think about this, I said, well, what did Jesus have to say? Did Jesus talk about his return? Did he talk about how we live in light of his return? And my goal was to go through all of the gospels and write down everything that he said on this. And I spent uh, way too much time. I made it through one of them and I ended up with seven pages of notes and I can only make it through three. So we're not going to make it through everything that he said, and I didn't make it through all of the Gospels to see everything that he said, but I want to glance at just a few of them. He tells us that in the last day, Matthew chapter 24, verse 10, then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. Because the lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The one who endures to the end will be saved. He says, as it gets close to his return, there's going to be a lot of wicked. And there's a lot of people that are going to get distracted because culture will be going the wrong way. And there's a lot of people, it said, that are going to get so caught up in the culture that they're not ready for his return. And he goes that those that endure, those that stand strong looking forward to his return will be saved. And as I begin to think about this, I'm like, well, what does that mean for those that aren't ready? Those that don't. And Jesus actually tells a lot of parables about this. There's, there's one, he talks about a waiting servant. And this is Matthew 24. There's, there's a bunch of these, actually, in Matthew 24. Um, I skip, in fact, I skipped most of the stuff that he did before that. Jesus tells the story. He says, you know what, there's this, there's, if a master leaves and leaves his servant in charge and goes, here, run the house, I'll be back. And the master doesn't come back for three months, four months, a year, and two months. What happens if when he returns... That servant that he put in charge is taking great care of everything. What happens when he returns? Great! Awesome! Thank you so much! And he may get promoted over more things. What happens if he comes back and that servant said, you know what? (laughs) I don't know if the master's ever coming back, but I got run of the house. I can get anything I want. I can make all the other servants just do things. Starts beating some of the other servants, mistreating them. Starts being lazy. Starts drinking. What's what's, what's the master going to do? And he sits there and he says, blessed is the servant who the master finds doing his will when he comes. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to mistreat the others and things, he says that that servant will be thrown out. And all of a sudden I begin to get a picture that this what he's talking about is us. And what he's talking about is the master is him. And going, you know what? I'm going to come back, and it's going to be a while. And you're not going to know when I'm going to come back, and you're going to be tempted to go, is he ever going to come back, or should I just do whatever I want? And he says, blessed is the one who keeps in mind that I will return, even if you don't know when I'm going to return, and is living ready. Living in a way that they're ready to stand in front of me. And I begin to look at it going, well, you know, isn't everything in the Bible supposed to be like confirmed with two or three witnesses? And he just rolls through them and he tells another story about these bridesmaids and says, that, hey, there's 10 bridesmaids. And they're all waiting for the, the master. They're all waiting for his return. If they're the ones waiting, they're not the people who don't know about God. They're the ones that are waiting. And as they're waiting and the master is delayed in his return, as far as they're concerned, five of them are no longer ready when he gets back. They're supposed to have a lamp and they're supposed to have it ready and they ran out of fuel because they didn't bring things because they weren't planning on a long wait. They weren't ready to serve God without him Taking them right away, and they, their, their fire for God, their living for God went out. And it says that they went to get some more, and when they were gone, the master returned. He came in, he celebrated those that were ready, he took them with him, and he shut the door. And all of a sudden, I got thinking. Okay, so that, again, those that weren't ready didn't end up too well. He tells another story about talents, he tells another story about some sheep and goats. And, and I, I like this one, because he, he, he says, he gathers everybody in front of him in the end, and he separates them, the sheep from the goats, or like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he sits here, and he says to the one guy, he goes, well done. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was lonely, you visited me. And he begins to rattle off this list of great things that they did, and he goes, come enter my kingdom. And they look at him and they go, what are you talking about? When did we see the God of the universe hungry, naked, alone, lonely? When is God lonely? Really? Like, when did I do this? And he returns. He turns. He re- responds. When you treated somebody else, when you, whatever you did to the least of these, you did unto me. And he goes, the way that you were living, when you couldn't tell that it mattered, he goes, it counted. And the way that you treated those people, I took personally. And so I wanna honor you because you, that kid was alone at his lunch table and you went and sat by him and you left your friends so that you could greet him. And that kid over there was getting picked on and you stood up for him because everybody else was being, being mean. And you saw the brokenness in his eyes. And you remember that kid? that forgot his lunch that you shared with? He goes, you shared your lunch with me and I want to thank you. And do you remember that time when your parents were crazy and you wanted to cuss at them and you decided you were going to honor them regardless of whether or not they were right or wrong because the Bible says to honor them? He goes, when you did that, you honored me. And he begins to go through this list and all these times you're like, you you remembered, you remembered, that was, what? Wow. Thank you. And then he turns to the other side and he goes, I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was cold, you gave me nothing. I was naked, you gave me nothing. I was lonely, you ignored me. And he begins to go through this list, and they look at him, and they're like, God, when? When did I ignore you? When didn't I bring you something? When did I see you hungry and not share my food? When? And he just looks at him and goes, when you did it to the least of these? And I don't know if he's going to sit here and like everyone's going to remember that time that they ignored that kid at the lunch in the lunchroom or whether they're going to see that time they disrespect I don't know if they're going to see it or if they're going to hear it and just know in their hearts that he speaks the truth because he's God and he always speaks the truth. But but the fact that the way that they lived meant that they weren't ready when he returned. And I got thinking are we ready? Because this isn't a message about being afraid because the times are coming to the end. This is a message of hope. Because it's not over. Because you still have time. It's remembering that the time is coming when you're going to stand in front of God. The time is coming when he's going to return. And you get to decide what that's going to look like. You get to decide, is there anything that I want to do Is there anything I want to say? Is there anything I don't want to have to say? If so, make it right now. Repent now. Change now. In fact, in 2 Peter, I'm going to read this from the New Living. Chapter 3, verse 11. It says, Since everything around us is, is going to melt away, what holy, godly lives you should be living. You should look forward to that day and hurry it along. The day when God will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in flames. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that he has promised, a world where everyone is right with God. And so, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to live pure and blameless and to be at peace with God. And remember, the Lord is waiting so that people have time to be saved. This is just our beloved brother, Paul. All right. As he said this, I'm like, all right, this whole point. Jesus is coming back. It looks like it's going to be soon. How soon? I don't know. Some of these things throughout dates. Are you going to be on one of those dates? Maybe. But that's really beside the point. The point is everything indicates that he's coming back soon. When soon? I don't know. But if you know he's coming back soon, what do you want to do about it? What are you going to change? is there anything you need to change? Is there someone that you want to tell? Is there someone you want to forgive? Is there someone you need to apologize to? Are there some priorities that need to change? Is there someone that you want to stand up for? Is there someone that you want to encourage? Is there someone you want to reach, reach out to to share with Is there anything you say, you know what? I want, when Jesus comes back, to be able to tell Jesus that I did this. Great, then do it. Because he hasn't come back yet. So at this point, you can change anything. The thing that that gets me in Revelation, it talks about a people. That were neither hot nor cold. In Revelation chapter three, it's verse fifteen. It says, "I I know your works; so that you're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were rather cold or hot! So because you are lukewarm, not hot or cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth." This was a very disturbing verse to me. First off, the idea of God spitting things, people out, is kind of gross, but. Why would he rather someone be cold than lukewarm? What does it look like to be hot? What does it look like to be lukewarm? Or what does it look like to be cold? Let me give you a, my, my little synopsis. If you are hot, that means you are living for God every day. You've made him the Lord of your life and you go, God, I may make mistakes, but I want to live to please you. If you are cold, that says, you know what, God? If you're there, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. What then is lukewarm? Why would God rather you be anti-God than lukewarm? That doesn't make sense to me until I thought about it and realized that someone who's lukewarm is living with that which is cold, is headed where the cold is going, but thinks they're over here. It's someone who goes, you know what? I believe that there's a God. I'll give God some religious service, but I'm going to live for me. And in my day-to-day decisions, I pick I am the master in my life. When God says don't, and I say I want, I do. And I begin to look at this person, and all of a sudden, sadness began to fill my heart for this person. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers. Don't deceive yourselves. He says that the people that hear the word and think that that makes them okay, while they're still living for themselves, it says that they're deceived. That it was as he's returning, I pray none of you are there. He goes, I would rather you be cold than know it than to be lost thinking that you're found. And so I bring out the challenge going, he's returning. How soon? I don't know. But are you ready? Is there anything that you want to do to get ready? Can everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? I want to challenge you. If there's anyone that you want to witness to, to witness. If there's anyone that you want to stand up for, to do so. If you need to forgive somebody, if you need to repent, do so. Because even if he doesn't come back for a while, it's a good idea. But if he's coming back soon, you really want to do it. But if you say, you know what, if he was to come back soon, if he was to come back now, I don't know that I'd be ready. You may say, you know what, I know that if he was to come back right now, I'm cold. I'm living for myself. I've been living for myself. Or you may say, I've been trying to live two lives. My church life has been a show. And to be honest, I would be that lukewarm person. Or you know what, you may look at me and go, I don't know. I really don't know where I'd be. Because I haven't, I don't know that I've been living for God. And I want to know. I want to make God the Lord, the master of my life, and I want to know that I'm right with him and on my way to heaven. If that's you, if you're in either of those groups, I want to give you a chance to declare him to be Lord, to repent, receive forgiveness, to know that you're right with God and on your way to heaven, that you are one of those eagerly awaiting his return. When I count to three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. One, two, get ready. 3 raise re-zip your hands nice and high. Nice. That's me. Awesome. Who else says that's me? I want to know right there. Uh, who else says that's me? Back here, back there, and there, and there, and there, and there. Who else says that's me? Awesome. 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 All right. Go ahead and put your hands down. We're going to say a simple prayer. Because the Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord, declaring him to be Lord, not just saying, some lip service, but declaring that they will follow God and make him the master of their life. It says that they will be saved. So that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna call on God's name. We're gonna repent from our sins and he's going to forgive us and wash our sins away. So go ahead, whether you raised your hand or whether you've done it before, go ahead and join me as we declare him to be Lord. Say, God, I'm sorry for the wrong things I've done. I believe that you died and rose again. Thank you. For washing my sins away. I want to live for you. Every day. I make you. The Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.